The following podcast is intended for general information and entertainment purposes only. It should not be substituted for professional medical or psychological advice. Before beginning or changing a treatment plan, please consult your local healthcare professional. to Biopsychosocial, a true crime podcast that's not afraid to get a little weird. I'm Kayla. I'm Jordan. And together, we're here to bring you all the juicy tea tales of the world's most bizarre and twisted crimes. But don't worry, we'll keep it light with our signature brand of dark humor. This is true. So sit back, relax, and get ready for a wild ride through the criminal mind. And remember, folks, crime... <laughs> Take a day off, and neither do we. And remember, folks, crime doesn't take a day off, so neither do we. Welcome to Biopsychosocial, the true crime podcast where we delve into the twisted minds of criminals. But don't worry, we'll lighten the mood with our witty banter and questionable dance moves. I'm Kayla, the one with the degree in forensic psychology. And, and this is Jordan, the one with the degree in sarcasm. It's true. Together, we'll explore the bio, cycle, and social aspects of crime and make it palatable with our unique brand of humor. So sit back, grab a glass of wine, and get ready to laugh, learn, and maybe even question your own sanity. Let's get started. So, so those are two new intro intros that were written by an AI. <laughs> and I, Caleb, confabulated them and I read it blind, which is why I was cracking up. Yes, please let us know if you think that we should use that as our regular intro. Yes, because us awkwardly saying, I'm Jordan and I am the world's okayest nurse. And I'm Kayla and I'm a therapist. No, I don't have a degree in forensic psychology. I do have a degree in regular psychology, though. I have um, a bachelor's of science in kicking ass and taking names, which is the same thing as nursing. It's the it's kicking ass and taking names is like the the sister school to sarcasm. Yes. Yes. So that's that's pretty that's pretty close. And nurses are typically a pretty sarcastic group of people. Mm, um, have to be. Yes. Um, so so here we are in our bios in our biopsychosocial episode here. Um, we're drinking coquito today. Cheers. Out of mason jars. Out of mason jars. Um, my husband's coworker made this, and actually my coworker made me coquito also, but that is gone. No one ever made me coquito. That's why I brought it. This is some, this is also some strong co- coquito. I did take a lactate preemptively, by the way. So let's delve into our wonderful story here. Yes, let's. Let's. So content warning for this one. If anything to do with child abuse or harm to children doesn't vibe with you. Well, I mean, I don't, don't, don't think it don't vibes think it with anybody. <laughs> but if it's a particular soft spot for you, maybe avoid this one because it's going to be a, a rough go. Even like, even when I did, I was doing the research on this, like I had to like take breaks, like I had to take breaks. I had some hot cocoa in the middle of it. I hung out with my cats and came back to it periodically. So even if, you know, you think you could do this episode and you need a little break in the center, that's cool too. However you got to do. When I was looking for documentaries on this, I found, or it was suggested to me to watch the trials of Gabriel Fernandez, Mm -hmm. which was very difficult to watch. Really? Very similar in nature and very difficult to watch. That was more recent, wasn't it? 
Yes. Yeah. Much more recent. Yeah. Um, I ended up watching um, a CBS News briefing on the topic. Um, and the topic is, well, we didn't even say the topic yet. It is Joseph Augustus Zarelli, um, who was formerly known as the boy in the box or America's unknown child, who was only recently identified. I watched a uh, was it NBC News 10 in Philadelphia did like a very short documentary on this. It was like a 20 minute documentary. So that's where I got most of my info from. This was pretty good. It was a 45 minute news briefing. And it was people that had been working on the case, um, the chief of police, um, the forensic investigators, the medical examiners, Um, hats off to all these all these people. They actually did discuss, you know, the people that had worked on this case and had died, which had been the case because of um, the length of time that this case went unsolved and hats off to them. They really, Mm -hmm. they really went the distance for this this little kid. In February um, of 1957, February 26th, actually at 1040 AM, the remains of a four to six year old boy was found in the woods outside of Philadelphia. So it was discovered 14 miles from city center in the Fox chase neighborhood on the side of Susquehanna road. At the time, this part of the city was mostly underdeveloped, and the area where the boy was found was overgrown with weeds and brush. Mm -hmm. He was discovered by 26-year-old college student Frederick Benonis. Don't worry, they published his whole home address in case you wanted to visit. (laughs) Jesus. And he thought he'd seen a discarded doll inside of the box. So, Mm -hmm. pro tip, if you think it's a mannequin or a doll, assume it's a body, Body. actually, until you're proven otherwise. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's kind of the way all people are, oh, is that a mannequin? It's never a mannequin. Never a mannequin. How many mannequins do you know? <laughs> how, how, many many man- just- <laughs> how many mannequins do you know? How many mannequins are getting discarded on the side of the road? Um, the child's body had been severely beaten, um, was unclothed, wrapped in a blanket inside of a cardboard box. Sad irony is that it was a box for a bassinet. From J.C. Penny. From J.C. Penny. I was about to say that. Which was where I worked when I was 15, 16, 17. I used to go visit her there a lot. The the coroner's report um, showed subdural hemorrhage, brain bleed, contusions, fancy word for bruises, abrasions, fancy word for scrapes, and a pleural effusion, which is um, fluid filling up in fluid filling up around the lungs. So there's something called the pleural space around your lungs, sort of like I think it's like a water balloon. So liquid can fill up in there. Many reasons it can happen. A lot of times from cancer heart disease, you know, there's uh, many reasons to have it. This was definitely, this is little boy didn't have heart disease. It was, I'm sure, from trauma because he was, he was right. very badly beaten. So the area where they found him in the woods was commonly used for dumping trash, if that gives you an idea of how fucking horrible these people were that did this to him. Right. Um, and for a really long time, for some reason, I thought he was found in a wooden box, like a milk crate or not a milk mm-hmm. crate, but, you know, a wooden box. And it was just a, a corrugated cardboard cardboard box, right? That this bassinet came in, right? And he was wrapped in a, a plaid blanket that was kind of crusty, dusty, old. Yeah, his body was severely malnourished. Mm-hmm. His hair had been crudely cut either just before his death, as evidenced by pieces of hair still on his body, mm-hmm. just before or after his death, it might have been. His nails had been trimmed. He was clean, other than the bruises. He had several scars, one under his chin, one on his ankle, and a small scar near his groin. Mm -hmm. Due to the cold weather, investigators had a hard time determining the exact time of death, but estimated between two days and two weeks prior to the discovery of the body. So so facto, he was already dead when he was out there. They took whatever 
DNA sampling that they had in the time. And actually, right, they took they took DNA from him, but a it was a bad sample, and b they couldn't really do much with it. This is what they had for identifiers back in the 1950s. Um, The medical examiner actually did like a PowerPoint slide of like this is what they had in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Um, Visual, yeah, identify the body. Somebody that knows the body come in and say, is this so and so? Yes. Finger and footprints, so thumbprint, you know, dip the hand in ink, dip the foot in ink, get fingerprints. Hair comparison, not even hair DNA, just hair comparison. Does that hair look like that person's hair? Blood typing, which four types of blood types. So if you had a record, which a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't know their blood type, what's yours? Be positive, which is also my motto for life. Just kidding. I'm O positive, so I can give you blood, but you can't give me blood, which is a bit of a bummer. Um, and well, com- I probably wouldn't anyway. <laughs> I, I hate when blood leaves my body for any reason. That's yeah, fair. Um, and x-ray comparisons. But that would mean that you had to have a blood type on file and that you had to have x-rays. You could find, not with 100% certainty, but you can narrow down who someone's parent is because your blood type is actually inherited. Okay. Yeah, yep. that makes sense. They did what they could. They took samples and then they buried him in a potter's field, a pauper's grave. They, in the meantime, were, so they were unable to identify him based on the limited information that they had. No young boy had been reported missing from any Mm -hmm. orphanages or hospitals. Yep. So they spread some reconstructed images. So it wasn't, you know, there are photos, if you Google this online, you'll find some pretty upsetting photos of what he looked like when Mm -hmm. they discovered his body. Um, But they didn't post those. They posted reconstructed images of what he would have looked like before his death. And there, no one came forward. And they also, they made a, they made a funeral mask of him. They did. Yes. And the medical examiner, the coroner kept that with him. And if they ever. He traveled around the country. He did. And was like, it was looking. How, do you know this face? Basically. Yeah. And they also um, did basically like in Victorian times, they did um, postmortem photo shoots. Yeah. They, they dressed, dressed him, him up. They cleaned yeah. him. They dressed him up to kind of give an idea of what he would have looked like. Yeah. And they did that to no avail. They put him actually on gas bills. Oh, okay. Yeah, they... Um, pre, Pre-milk carton. Yeah, very similar to a milk carton. Have you seen this face? So everybody who got a gas bill, which was common source of heat back right. then, to see if they, you know, to see if anybody recognized him. And this, you know, captivated the captivated the world as it would today, honestly. You know, they called, it, they called him America's unknown child because they didn't have his name. They started getting tons and tons of leads after displaying his picture on flyers across Philadelphia. So... The images that you see when you Google it, which is his front and from either side as he was found with bruises and everything, that was distributed on a flyer throughout Philadelphia. So they followed up on nearly every lead because you kind of have to. The guy, the investigator that they interviewed and the one that I watched was like, you have to follow up on them unless they're like completely outlandish. Like I saw him get abducted by aliens and then (laughs) back. They're not going to follow up on that, but most of them they did. Including stuff like I, there was a barber that said he had cut the boy's hair, things like that. A, a woman who worked at a restaurant who said she saw him come in, which is, you know, that's a pretty credible lead. You have yeah. to follow up on it. A civilian in the police department who is a fingerprint expert even took the boy's footprint and went to every local hospital to find a match because they used to do feet, feet prints, <laughs> footprints. They still do. <laughs> when you are born. Yeah. So they, he wanted to compare them, but he couldn't mm-hmm. find any match, not a single match in any local hospital. Right. So the case like went unsolved with no new leads until um, October 30th, 1998, when they made the decision to exhume the body. Mm. 
Hmm? Oh, hold on. Something happened before then. What happened? So in 1961... A couple who worked at a traveling carnival were carnival. Oh, I didn't get this in the press conference. Were arrested and charged with the murder of one of their ten children. That's a lot. Ten more children than I ever want to have. <laughs> several others were missing, so they were charged with the murder of one child, but several more were missing. Oh. Police thought the the boy in the box was the couple's child, but like traveling carnivals <laughs> were like the wild west back then. They still are. No thanks, carnies. The couple admitted to burying the bodies of four of their children, but denied ever being in the Philadelphia area. But not this child. What right. the hell? What the actual hell? Right. I got nothing. And then you had nothing else until the 90s? The late 90s, they said Pen Pen Calusi, a commander in Philly's PD's homicide division, mm-hmm. who grew up hearing about this case, decided to take a look at it with the new advances in forensic technology. And that's when they exhumed his body. Yes. So they exhumed his body, took more DNA samples and a little more and a little extra just in case, mm-hmm. and then reburied the body. There was no other new leads from that. No. Um, they did move his body from Potter's Field to Ivy Hill Cemetery and gave him a new headstone. The, yes. The new one said America's Unknown Child. Right. And he wasn't in just like a, a field. Cut to April 24th of 2019. Oh, I have more. You got well, more? kind of more before then. So I wanted to talk about some of the theories that the police had at that point in time. Oh, gotcha. In the 90s. So one of them was that he was a Hungarian child who came over with his family during the Hungarian Revolution, because I guess a lot of people emigrated from Hungary at that time to the Philadelphia area, which tracks like a lot. My family came here from the Eastern Bloc (laughs) to Pennsylvania in the the late 1800s. Or they thought maybe he was a military kid because he had had medical treatment, mm-hmm. they noticed, um, on some of some of his wounds or um, scars or whatever. I, don't I know, got a lot on bones. that. The efforts were recognized by Pope John Paul II. Leave it to the Catholic Church to take an interest in little boys. Fight the real enemy. <laughs> Sinead O'Connor had it right. She did. <laughs> she did. And Frank Sinatra wanted to punch her in the mouth. Well, he's problematic in a lot of he ways. He is problematic. We do love that song. We Witchcraft. do love his music. That, that, that song, Witchcraft, is our jam. <laughs> So I don't know if you got this one. The so there's a theory that came across their desk in it was yes it was a while ago it was, mm-hmm. I think in the 90s. Um, a psychiatrist in Philly called police and told them a patient had recurring mem- memories of a little boy that matched the description really? of the boy in the box. And I'm curious about that because that's not an instance where you can legally break confidentiality. I don't know if it was different in the 90s, but. I'd have the patient call police by themselves or I would do a report with them. Yeah. I, I had a actually a colleague of mine, her son went missing. He was fine. He he's fine. He turned up. He was just on some shenanigans. But she called the police like to come in and she did a, a report with the mom, which was her client. Oh wow. So that's the I mean, that's the kind of thing that we would do is support them through something like that. Sure. But not Definitely not divulge the information on their behalf. No. But anyways, uh, and recovered memories are dicey territory, right? Mm-hmm. We don't, it's not an evidence-based thing. It's very problematic. It's it's resulted in a lot of people being falsely accused of crimes they didn't commit, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So anyways, this woman went by M, Mary, or Martha pseudonyms. That's I did get a Martha name. one, yeah. She wanted to know if the police had any cases that matched her memories. So she remembered... Her mother had exchanged an envelope with someone and came back with a young boy whom she called Johnny. They kept the boy in the cellar. Not the basement, the cellar. A cellar! She remembers one time where the little boy threw up and the mom beat him because of that. 
And so a lot of details matched up with information that was not released to the public, such as that the boy would have had, I think, baked beans in his stomach at the time of death. And that's what they found in his stomach. Those were the contents of his stomach. Really? So she was like, spot on. And there were a lot of other things where she was exactly correct hmm. in this evidence that they hadn't released to the public. So it was kind of like, oh, my God, like, Martha. this woman knows something. But it led to a dead end because she couldn't identify it. She didn't know where he came from. She didn't know if it was the exact same person. Yeah. Um, so it ended up being just a dead end. Another theory way back when the body was discovered um, in the late 50s, early 60s. So a nearby foster home located one and a half miles from the body. There was a foster home is what I meant to say. Mm -hmm. um, in 1960, Remington Bristow, who was an employee of the Emmy's office, was told by a psychic to visit the investigate the, the foster home as you do there he found a bassinet matching the one from jc penny the box that the boy was found in mm -hmm. and blankets similar to the one that he was wrapped in bristow believed that the boy belonged to the stepdaughter of the man who ran the foster home and that they disposed of his body so the stepdaughter would not be exposed as an unwed mother this was unsubstantiated when the police determined that all children at the foster home were accounted for. Yeah, they did make the rounds to the local foster areas mm -hmm. and be like, hey, missing any kittens lately? Forensic artist, artist Frank Bender had a theory that the boy might have been raised as a girl, hence the haircut. In 2016, a man from Memphis, Tennessee came forward that he believed his family member may be linked to the boy and was assisted by the Philly police in procuring a DNA sample. But the sample was found to not be a match. And there was not much else after that until yeah. he also 2019. Said he was 2019. He was I didn't was get a lot of the theories. They just kind of said how they identified him, which is interesting in and of itself. So 2019, they're like, let's take another stab at this. It's been a lot of years since we've exhumed this body, which is controversial. But if we're trying to identify somebody's body, you have to exhume about it. And I think it's really important that in, in the cases that other cases that we've talked about that in, involved children, the entire community took him in as their right. child. And especially the people who investigated those. Mm -hmm. I mean, they went to really great lengths they and did. did not give up on this. They kept, they made sure it didn't go cold. You no. know, they kept looking for information for decades. And they like, and even, um, even the detective said, we need we need to know his name. We at least need to give this kid a name. You know, to be loved, we need to be known. Right. Um, so we need to know this kid's name. That's like one of the most important things. They actually made a, a goal for the agency, the company, that every single um, unidentified body will be identified, at least. Even if we can't solve the crime, we at least have to give a name to these mm -hmm. people, which is important. <laughs> what are your cats doing? Anybody who's listened to this that's going to family dinner at Kayla's family's house tonight, you're getting chocolate chip cookies for dessert. Oh, they're M&M cookies. M&M cookies. And they must smell good, at least, because Luna wanted to eat them. Yes, even though she can hot. 2019, April 24th, uh, the remains were re-exhumed, re-DNAified, additional tissue was taken... And DNA was actually able to be uploaded to databases mm -hmm. for possible maternal relatives. So um, maternal side is used for a lot of used for a lot of DNA tracing. So they determined they were able to find some maternal relatives to the body, and they looked up birth, death, adoption records for the years because they estimated that he was between four and six years yes. old. Mm -hmm. So they subtracted between, you know, they did from either side of 1953. I think they did like late 1940s to mid 1950s 
records of any births. And they were able to find his birth mother. They did not release their names. Uh, so they were able to find his birth mother. And they were there were three births from that birth mother in the same area that matched his DNA. Can we talk about where they found the DNA? Did Did you get that that part? No, they didn't. It was a press conference. They weren't going to say the juices. It it was discovered because his second cousin once removed, ah. his second cousin once removed um, had submitted his DNA to one of those like genealogy. Yes. Oh, I thought you meant like where on the body they found the DNA. no, no, no. No, it was from ancestry. So they identified a boy born in 1953. This is like, this is like when, when somebody gives, you know, it's like when somebody goes on a date and they give me like their niece's name and their favorite color and I can find out where they went to college. I'm your girl for that, by the way. Um, they identified the father on the birth certificate and any relatives identified. So he was from a prominent family from Delaware County, Pennsylvania. Yes. He didn't have a social security number, which for the time was not it uncommon. Was common, yeah. Yeah. You, I've heard of people from that era um, saying that their parents took all the kids to get their social security numbers at the same time. Because people, what do you need it for? When they were when first instituted in what, like the 20s or 30s, people mm-hmm. used to get them tattooed on. Because they didn't want to, there was no way to like keep a record of it. They just were like, here's your social security number. And you had to remember it. One, two, three, four, five, six. Um, So they were able to positively identify America's child, the boy in the box, as Joseph Augustus Sorelli. Yes, because, well, because of the genealogy database, the man who submitted his DNA Mm -hmm. was the second cousin once removed, and the people working on the case. helped him to get DNA from his mother, who was Joseph's cousin, first cousin. Um, And that's how they were able to get it so narrowly, so close. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had a a forensic genealogist, which I did not know was a thing, working on the case. And she had to work backwards from his most distant relatives. And that's how they figured out who he was. Yes. It was fascinating. So the medical examiner came and talked about how they've really how far we've come with DNA testing. DNA was discovered in the 1860s. They just knew that it existed. And they only knew back in the 19, prior to that, up until the 1940s, they only knew the structure of DNA, the double helix shape, the they had biology class. That's the sound it makes. Yeah, well, it's a spinny sound, yeah. And then in the 1940s, they knew that DNA carried your genetic information. And then, and so I talked about the 1950s, all they had for identifiers. Yeah, so that's how, that's the, that's the length of time that we've gone through. So they really only discovered that DNA can carry your genetic information around the time that he died. So being able to track somebody through their DNA wasn't going to happen until years and years and years later. And actually, they had to outsource the newest pieces of DNA that they got. They outsourced it to a lab in Europe. They didn't even do it here in the US. I want to talk about, we were talking about the scars on the body. Mm-hmm. And one of them was from questioning IV administration when he was young, which really baffled me because the odds of having a scar from IV administration of just fluids is really strange. What were they giving him? You can get a scar from intravenous in intravenous therapy if you're injecting something noxious into the veins. Okay. Yeah, I've um, never had a, anything left over from IV fluids. Right. IV iron can leave scarring on the veins. Some chemotherapy can leave like they're like stripes, like dark scarring on the veins. And especially if um, the IV infiltrates or the vein breaks apart and fluid, le- and the fluid leaks out, 
you can get some scarring from that. You can actually get tissue death if it's a really, really nasty substance. It's why chemotherapies are given through the pore in the chest. So I'm question. There are a few things that I'm questioning. Is what were they giving him through the vein? Is it? It couldn't have been just fluids. I in- wonder though if maybe whoever had him at the time did like a a home IV drip. Even then, you weren't going to screw. If it's fluids, you're not screwing it up that bad. There are some, if they were doing electrolytes, which I don't know when they started doing that, potassium can really hurt your veins. I did look up, (laughs) I ended up going on a deep dive because back in the day, now when you get an IV in your arm, the needle retracts out and there's just a piece of plastic left in your veins, which just doesn't make you feel any better. I know. Um, So I looked it up and plastic IV catheters were invented in 1945 and disposable ones were invented in 1964. So he could have gotten a scar because it was an an active needle in his arm. Okay. Um, And he was a little kid. He was squirming. Yeah, he was squirming. He was flailing around. Could somebody have been like holding him down and forcing this upon him? So that was a red flag to me. Did he have like some sort of medical thing or were they doing something to him at home? And it had to be somebody with some sort of medical Mm know-how because to get an IV in somebody is tricky, especially if it's a kid. So, so who, who did this to him and why? We don't know. Talked about the orphanages and the bodies. Oh, I forgot that I wrote this down. It didn't come on till later. They used to let people come in and look at the bodies. At like anybody? anybody, you can just come in. Why would I want to? Yeah. And people like someone dropped a handkerchief on the body and they thought it was a clue, but it was just like somebody that came in to see the body. Oops. I left my hanky. Oh, I left my hanky. Honey, I hang- do you know where my hanky went? Oh, it's probably uh, in the coroner's office. Yes. We went there for fun yesterday. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they're <laughs> Southern. This is Philadelphia. <laughs> yes. Oh, I actually do have some more information on advancements in DNA. Okay. I hate when they bring up something later and it's like later on in my notes. So back in the 80s, when they tried to exhume him again, they were able to use DNA to identify people. Okay. And between 1985 and 1992, um, they developed PCR which anybody that has been on this planet for the past three years um, has heard that related to COVID-19 PCR testing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That stands for polymerase chain reaction, which can test for fragments of DNA. um, And so not even whole strand fragments of DNA, in this case, the COVID virus. Mm -hmm. So, you know, long before the virus is broken down in the body, you don't have full beautiful strands of DNA. They can test for snippets. That's why you can test positive on a PCR much longer than a rapid test because it can test for part of a DNA strand and not like, holy shit, an overrun level of viruses. And in 2014, um, the National Center of Missing and Exploitive Children had a DNA database and they were able to upload Joseph's information onto it. So they had the forensic manager of the police department on and they were able to uncover the DNA, but they weren't able to, this is still an active investigation. This is still a very much unsolved case. They may never find out what happened to him. Mm -hmm. We do know that Joseph has siblings that are still alive. Yeah, Yeah, have siblings that are still alive. So they're not releasing the names of his parents out of respect for them because we don't know if he they did something. And then the children, the Mm full-blooded children of Joseph's father, said that he had nothing to do with Joseph. But it's unclear if they meant like he never knew Joseph was born or Mm -hmm. like was never involved in his life or if they were trying to say like, no, that's not his kid because the DNA evidence was like 
No, it's definitely his child. Yeah. <laughs> and his name, well, even if his name was just on the birth certificate, it doesn't mean that it's, if you've right, watched the DNA, any, if you've watched an episode of Maury, you know that just because yeah. someone's name is on the birth certificate doesn't mean it's its kid. Maury said, you are the father. <laughs> In the case of four-year-old Joseph, mm-hmm. you are the father. That's all I have for notes on. I'm Joseph. Yeah, that's pretty much all I had too. I mean, thank goodness that we have a name for this little boy yeah. now. I think it's still frustrating that we don't know what exactly happened to him. Mm-hmm. Do you have a theory on what you think happened? I think I think he was I think he was just horribly whoever's care he was in, he was just horribly he was horribly horribly abused. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was staying with somebody outside of his genetically, you know, his his birth family and they had him for farm work or for, you know, they had him as like a child, you know, as like a child slave or something of the sort and just left him in a basement and barely kept him alive. They could have given him IV stuff to just keep him around and they beat him too hard one day and killed him. It had to be, I, I'm thinking about this, it like had to be somebody with some sort of know-how because they knew enough to cut his hair off and to cut his nails right. off. Yeah. And Which a lot of, of people And the body was clean then. to scrub the body. So right. it was somebody that knew what they were doing. Also, someone with medical knowledge, if they were yeah, giving him if they IVs. were giving him IV fluids, which we don't know. But so, it was probably less common in like an underdeveloped area for a kid to get regular medical care. My theory is that he was born out of wedlock to a young woman who is the child of this prominent family. Mm-hmm. They did not want anyone to know that that happened. So they sold him to Mary M's family, mm-hmm. where he it played out exactly as you said. They kept him for whatever reason in the cellar and yeah. beat him. And one day, the that ended up killing him. That's my theory. Um we may never know. We may never know. We probably will never know because, because it's been even 70 years. His we... half-siblings probably either didn't know he existed or if they did know he existed, they were probably too fucking terrified to say anything. Because what do you what do say you... about that? Yeah, there's nothing you're doing you're, you're about You're going to be scared that that's going to happen to you when you're a kid if you say right. anything. And also, there's no reason. I mean, this is... I, I'm not saying this makes any sense. This is This is kind of bullshit and you see it played out a lot. If their parents are still alive and they had a part in this, they're old as hell now. They're in their 80s or 90s. They're like, I don't want to put my old person through this. Mm-hmm. Which which it is a like it is a thing. It's like it's like when Bill Cosby went to jail and he's old as hell, which he should have jailed. Well, they did the same thing with the Golden State Killer. He's like in his 80s and yeah. they're like too fucking bad, you're still going to jail. Exactly. <laughs> but there's like a con on the other side, you know, there's another side of the argument where they're like, they're old, what's the point? Right. Well, the point the point is justice. The point is justice. The point is justice, and it's a it, it's a good point. So I can see why they're squelching it almost. Why why the half siblings could be squelching? I think it. they're just trying to investigate and they in further, and they don't really want the public to know what or how be, they're yeah. investigating. That's a good thing too. Like, think I'm happy we have a name for this. I'm happy we have Joseph's name. We have a name for this child mm-hmm. um, because that's. That's important. Also, I was looking this up on Reddit's um, true crime sub and somebody potentially found his father's grave. It was the man's name was Augustus Zarelli. Hmm. 
So that was interesting. Yeah, they had, yeah, the, the name was on the birth certificate. They just didn't release it. I'm sure if you dug hard enough, you can find it. You can find anything. But it was just, it was just a really, also, really sad case. It was not un, uh, it was not unbelievable to either sell your child or mm-hmm. board your child with someone. So no. my great grandparents boarded my grandmother and her brother mm-hmm. with a well-known farming family in our community really? during the Great Depression because yeah. they, couldn't afford to feed them. And mm-hmm. when it ended, you know, when they were able to mm-hmm. support their family again, they got them back because it was like an unofficial under the table sort of situation. Right. But we didn't find this out until they were all dead because I'm sure there was a good amount of shame involved there. And there was also the case of, oh my God, I can't believe I forgot what her name is, but the girl who was chained up in a basement. Jeannie? No, not Jeannie. She, no. her fam, her mother and father boarded her at this house where she ultimately died mm-hmm. um and they would pay every week to have her live there and that, they were carnies too so that was I mean. also the plot of les miserables so it i mean it truly it wasn't uncommon it wasn't common for kids to immigrate to another country without their parents sylvia likens her name was sylvia likens so it wasn't uncommon for parents to let their children go move to another country because i mean no other option right. um go live with another family that happened in my family as well um, people had to go live with their cousins or their relatives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we at the random question portion? Because I'm going to have the AI tell us a random question. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. Then we don't have to think of one. Yeah, Jordan, if you were stranded on a deserted island with only one true crime perpetrator for company, who would you choose and why? <sighs> what the hell? That's like a good question. Um, True crime perpetrator perpetrator. Darlie Root's here because I don't think she did it and I just want to get her out of jail and we'll just hang out on the island together. Are you going to have them do a question for you or are you going to answer on that one? If you could only use one emoji to describe your feelings towards serial killers, which would it be and why? (laughs) I don't know. I have to describe the emoji now because the knife emoji. (laughs) I think it would be that emoji that's like looking down sadly. (laughs) Or like, I'm just, like, disappointed in humanity that this is a thing. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. I was going to do a bowl of cereal and a knife. Like, <laughs> I would just... Oh, was it only one? Oh, bowl of cereal. Uh, yeah, the sad emoji. <laughs> the disappointed emoji. Mm-hmm. Yes. Those were actually very good questions. I think we should make them answer... Do AI is going to take our jobs. I mean, probably not mine. Are you going to steal our jobs? As your language model AI, my goal is to assist users and make tasks easy for them, not to replace them. Okay. I am designed to have... Oh, my God. This is too much content. We're not going to tell you. Oh, my God. He's having big feelings about this. This is a PR moment. (laughs) (laughs) However, I believe that human hosts bring a unique perspective and creativity to a podcast that cannot be replicated by AI. And I am here to help enhance the content and make it more interesting and engaging. Okay. That's fair. I don't think AI's... I think they theoretically could replace therapists, but no. I think too many people would be like, no, I want to see it human. D- talk to old people at the grocery store. They do not like the self-checkouts. I do because I don't want to talk to people. Right. So I hope AI doesn't replace me within the next like 30 or so years before I retire. <laughs> if, I, if I retire. <laughs> I don't think we're retiring. I hate to break this to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Reagan. You can find us. Wait, wait, wait. Why? What do you want? What do you? Oh, my God. Give us a... Uh, closing line for our podcast episode 
Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Biopsychosocial, where we explore the twisted mind of true crime and a little add a little humor to the mix. We hope you enjoyed our episode today and that you'll join us next time for more discussion on the bio, psycho, and social aspects of true crime. Remember to stay safe, don't forget to laugh, and don't forget to laugh. It's good for the soul. Until next time, we're signing off. But before we do... You can find us at BiopsychPod on Instagram and BiopsychoSocial, a podcast on Facebook. And as always, fuck Twitter. Fuck Elon Musk. We've and already also decided. Check we out our Patreon if you like, if you want. Yeah. That's fine. I guess this was a short one today. This was a short one well, because uh, we just identified the kid. Yeah, that's, that's true. it. Yeah, there was no. We didn't get to solve this one. Olsen and Olsen Mystery Agency. It was a little sad, but... It's Biopsych Unsolved. Biopsych Unsolved. Like BuzzFeed Unsolved. They did actually a Boy in the Box episode. I almost watched it. I actually do like BuzzFeed Unsolved. That was the only good thing to ever come out of BuzzFeed. (laughs) I know. I I liked Ladylike, and I did like the Try Guys before All Hell Broke Loose. Well, (laughs) I still do. I still do. The the three that are left are very cool. There's the other one. the asshole. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> we're going to finish our coquito. We're going to start coquito. We love you. We love you. Don't forget to laugh, apparently. Bye. Bye.